Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace Podcast. Well, another biblical passage awaits us as to explore, and our goal is to gain insight and application from God's Word that can encourage us in our day-to-day lives. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. This week we are going to consider what might be perhaps a familiar passage, and one that offers a really uh, enticing invitation that the Lord makes, an invitation for each of us, made to us personally and really quite profound in content. Now, no one wants to miss a good offer, right? So listen carefully and see what is being offered by the Lord and ponder that offer in a personal way. The passage is found in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 through 30. We read, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever there's an invitation, we need to know a few things about who it is that's making the invitation and who it is that is being invited. And our context would, of course, find us as Jesus um, is in his public ministry. He is in Jerusalem, and he has uh, come, obviously, to be the king and the Messiah of the Jews. And so he's the very Jewish context, and so his audience are going to be Jews. And in Matthew 11, we see there's going to be some Pharisees always nearby and others. So he is making a general invitation and calling to Uh, those who are hearing him in that immediate context. And of course, then by extension, though, and by application, this is an invitation or calling to all of us, to anyone who would meet the conditions of what it is that he is going to make in his invitation. So who is it that Jesus is calling? And by the way, when you are calling, it's it's interesting when we think of calling, we have our cell phones today and our day of technology. And when, you know, when, when somebody uh, calls you on your cell phone and it comes up on an unknown name or a name or a number you do not recognize, what is the first instinct and probably the normal thing that most of us will do? We will turn the phone off. We're not going to take that call. I don't know who it is. And I uh, don't recognize that number. Or another thing that could happen is we could get a call from a number we do recognize or a name we recognize, and it's not one we're particularly interested in dealing with at that moment. So also what is a very convenient feature is you can just tune it out, ignore it, and not take the call. So we think of a calling that Jesus is making. Let's try to put it even in uh, in that terms of those who are listening. That's kind of what they're going to do. They're going to have to, in their first century way, like we would do in our 21st century way, uh, decide what are they going to do with this calling, with this invitation? Are they going to respond to it? Are they going to ignore it? 
uh, are they going to, you know, um, take it up? So we'll see. So this is Jesus Christ. He's speaking. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. The uh, the subject is actually the ones who he's appealing to are those who are weary and heavy laden. It's a two participles, a participial phrase that con- uh, combines, makes up the subject. So the ones who are laboring and the ones who are weary, it means to be worn out, to be faint, to be exhausted, and also to be heavy laden, to be loaded down or burdened with something. Uh, the word means to be used in shipping terms uh, as overloaded, thinking of that huge ship that was stuck in the, uh, the Suez Canal. Remember, you ever feel that way in our life, these burdens, and we're just weighed down and we're just exhausted and weary? And so as we think of burdens and we think of things like that, just realize that, you know, all of us have them. We all have various trials or burdens or things that we are stressed about. It's like we pile them up in a bag or put them on a, on a, on a float like that big boat, and they just consist of our issues, our, our mess, our financial problems, our maybe relational difficulties, maybe some broken dreams or, or some guilt or some inability to find victory in something, or maybe an uncertain future. I mean, we all have that and some anxieties that might go with that. And so here we have this bag. Think of it, put it on your back of these burdens, things that we deal with all the time. But, you know, I want you to realize that we all have something else besides those burdens. We all have something else. We have, think of your hand, and in your hand are some precious coins of some real value. And those would represent what we treasure, what we value, what our heart fancies, what we long for. What do we think about in our daydreams? And we have these hopes, those things. Maybe it's a big vacation or it's a relationship again, a want to have a relationship. Maybe it's, again, finances or health or different things that could be related. Um, there's in our coins these hopes, this I, these ideas. This, 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 this is what makes us tick. This is what makes us uh, want to move and groove, as a friend of mine likes to say. it. You know, What makes you move and groove? Well, these these. These dreams and these fancies and these things we long for, that's what keeps us going even day by day as we also have to trudge and be weighed down with our burdens. And so we think of our cares and our burdens, but they are often related to our treasures and our coins, the things we desire. They're often connected in some way. So think of like a backpack in the, uh, if you're in the Bounty Waters canoe area and you have a, a super long portage, you don't even know for sure uh, the actual length. And it's, uh, you know, so here you are, you got this big backpack, uh, you know, the Duluth pack, and you're trudging through the forest. And this is you, you're sweating, and you're hot, and you're tired, and you're sore, and you're weary. And then we look at the second participle here, you're heavy laden. So the first describes you as just being tired and over, you know, uh, uh, weary. And the second one talks about that burden, that specific load that's on you. And whatever it is, man, it's a lot and it's heavy and it's wearing you down and you're overloaded and you're sore. And so this is a, <clears throat> this, this is a burden. And in that context of Jesus, he's speaking to the Jews there in that day. What are they burdened with? What is he referring to? Well, it's a religious 
uh, burden. This is used metaphorically here. Jesus is saying, look, you know what it's like to be weary and tired of trying to keep the law and keep Pharisees and their expectations happy and trying to dot all your I's and cross all your T's. And you have this religion. Religion is always putting an emphasis on your, your duty and your performance and your effort. <clears throat> you know, their law was carried out not just from the Old Testament, that's from God, and that's right and good. But then they would, in their what they called the Mishnah, the Pharisees and, and scholars would add to it and develop it and try to show their great zeal in the law. So, for example, you could not spit on a Sabbath because you were not to work on a Sabbath. And you think, well, how does that fit? Well, if you spit, and it's a dry um, uh climate and uh, region, that spittle would perhaps roll in the dirt a time or two, collecting a few fragments of dirt, and then it would roll with that spittle. And that was the equivalent of like tilling. And so that would be farming. And so you can't do that on the Sabbath. That'd be work. Now, imagine that kind of meddling duty burden over and over in all sorts of areas of life and all sorts of things, these additional, um, quote, good intention, unquote, uh, things that were added to the law and burdens put upon people, and you can't do this and you can't do that. It's even in today's uh, Orthodox Jewish culture. Uh, uh, my son had a friend who was Jewish and visited uh, some family who were Orthodox Jews in Israel. This was just a few years ago. And he noted how they would put tape on their refrigerator so when you opened it, the light would not go on on the Sabbath because they don't want that light to go on because that, again, is somehow work. And so they still had all sorts of other extra things just like that, even today. So you do these things, you perform this way, you show your desire and your zeal and your sincerity, and this gets you some benefit, some some gain from God, some religious effort is doing good, showing good, being sincere, maintaining, and then maybe and hopefully you'll have eternal life. You'll have the, the goodies that the religion offers. So you think of rituals and expectations and rules and how we're to maintain all of this. And man, you can get wearied and, and you can become overloaded and burdened as this religion stresses action and doing and maintaining and performance. And through it, it teaches, it uses guilt and shame and pressure and community expectations and all of this uh, shape up or ship out type messages and God's mad at you, and all of this, you take in and it just becomes wearisome. Imagine you're on that portage with your Duluth pack now, and it's heavy, and you've been going and going, and you are exhausted, and you're tired, and you're wearied. And how far along are you? How much more is there? You don't know. You don't have any way of knowing. Will you even make it? You just have these doubts and think this is us in life trudging along hopeful that we might have something after we die in the positive realm, but not knowing for sure, but we're straining and we're weary and we're trying, but we know we fail and yet we're wondering and we have anxiety. Ugh, it's not the way to go at all. And plus we have everyday life trials and struggles of health and relationships and everything else. 
fact, we all have this in our day, a real busy and wearied and hurried life, don't we? Technology has caused us to go a zillion miles an hour. We're living in the moment. Uh, it's very hard to be present in the moment. We talk about that, you know, because of your phones and your televisions, electronics and this and that. It's hard to even be present in the moment and just be around the people and talk to them and be with people conversationally. We're almost losing that. And so the portage, you're just trudging along and you're rushing in this wearied life. You're trying to get to the end of this thing, but you don't even know what's going to happen when you get there. It's frightening in a way. It's not the way to go. And so Jesus is speaking. That's who he's inviting right there. And he says, all you who are wearied and heavy laden, come, come to me. And so it's very personal on his part. You come to me, and it's directed to you and I, personal on our part. And why him? Why Jesus? Well, we should know some things about him, as they certainly did. In fact, right in Matthew 11, in our context, we'll see that he refers here, uh, just a few verses earlier in verse 21, he's talking to two different cities. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, and woe, woe, woe to you, rather, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in these other cities, etc. He's just comparing. But what I'm after is mighty works done in you. And he says it again in verse 23 about Capernaum, who were, are exalted in heaven, they'll be brought down to Hades. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Mighty works. Jesus had done many mighty works in just these nearby towns, Corazon and Capernaum, etc., and so we see that there's things that should be known about Jesus. In fact, earlier in chapter 11, um, the disciples of John the Baptist had come and, and had actually asked, uh, to, to ask Jesus some questions. And, and Jesus answered these disciples, go and tell John, verse 4 of chapter 11, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So notice all these mighty works. That's what's going on. And so Jesus has a reputation. His teaching is very much appealing and attractive to people. It's very compelling. And these mighty works and these miracles and things are all pointing. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one that God has promised and we're waiting for and the deliverers? The Jews were waiting for their expected Messiah, their king. And he says, come to me. The mighty works. Think about all that I've done. But you have to be willing to receive it. In Matthew chapter 11, the same chapter in verse 14, he reads, we read, whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house, or, excuse me, uh, he's talking to his disciples there in chapter 10. In chapter 11, verse 14, he says, and you are, if you are willing to receive what I, who I am, my mighty works, what I'm saying, then I'm like Elijah who is to come, but he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Willing is the word. Are you willing to receive it? This invitation is for you. It's personal, but are you willing to hear it through and respond? This Jesus was uniquely born. He's both God and man. He came by way of the virgin birth, as we know. He's both holy, he's compassionate, he's full of love, and he will eventually demonstrate the ultimate sacrifice of giving his life for the sins of the world. <clears throat> So, 
Come to me means you have to pause and listen and consider and then move toward him internally in your thinking, which is by faith. Faith is to be persuaded so as to trust. You're drawn to him and who he is. Come to me, the Messiah, King, Savior of the world sent by God. And what will you do when you come to him? What is he offering? He says, come to me all who you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Specific promise. I'll give you rest. Kingdom rest. The immediate audience, what they've been looking for all along, a Messiah, a king, someone who will deliver them and lead them, and he will give them that rest. And within that context of that rest, assurance and acceptance, forgiveness is all implied. And you can have a peace of mind. You can exchange these burdens and this weariness and have relief from this anxiety or uncertainty or pressures or trying to perform. You are troubled by the commands which the teachers of the law have placed upon you. Come to me, I will remove your burden, is how one text puts it. So how's he going to remove that? Well, he's got an invitation here, and he's going to now explain how this works. This invitation is going to involve a choice on our part. And it is this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What he's saying in his essence is this, accept me as the one who directs you. As the yoke reflects submission, it's an agricultural term, and you know how uh, you would put it on ox and such, and the idea here is to show reflecting submission. And this is then asking for repentance. As we know, biblically, repentance is a change of mind. And so look at these heavy burdens that are upon you and all the effort and weary toil that you have, and would you be willing to discard that and instead embrace Jesus Christ and his teachings and move toward him. Change your mind about the teaching and what you want to put yourself under and put yourself under him and by faith be persuaded and move toward him. In fact, learn from him. And that word learn, the same root in the Greek, the same root verb there is for a disciple. Be my disciple. Come, learn of me, be my disciple, follow me instead of all of that weary, toilsome religion. And again, you do this by faith as you consider who he is. Hear his words and then be persuaded. He that has an ear, let him hear. He just said in chapter 11 and verse 15, and appealing in verse 14, if you are willing. So for that audience in that day, I'm your Messiah. I'm going to bring the kingdom. What you've been anticipating, come. Be my disciple and learn of me. Why would we do that? Well, he makes an appeal to who he is, his character. He says, for, for the reason I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's even quoting from Jeremiah there on that statement, you will find rest for your souls, a passage that's ultimately going to reflect on the Messiah. So he's talking about a relationship here. It's not a system. It's not a dogma. It's not a doctrinal statement, but it's a person. It's me. Come to me. I am your creator, God, Savior, Messiah, King to these Jews. And for us today as believers in, the Christ, in, in Christ, 
He's the head of the church. He is our head. He is our Savior. He is, we are joint heirs with him, and we are found to be in Christ. So we can apply that in that way. So Jesus is referring to who he is. Look at who I am. Be drawn to me because he's amazing. And he becomes, and through this faith process, he becomes our coins in our hand. Our desire begins to be of him for him, for this amazing truth and this grace and this compelling words. And we lose the burdens and we now have in our hand the best coin. And life is designed to flow out of this. And that's why he says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Your walk then, directed by him, in submission to him, will find then the rest and the peace that you find for yourselves. His grace, you'll find that sufficient in your life. And this reflects then, as we are, have submission to him, we're yielded, this comes by faith, and what's key is it's voluntary. You want to. I want to. I'm drawn to him. I am amazed by him, and I'm seeing this mercy, this compassion, and this grace, this undeserved goodness, and, and that's what I want. And my, my, that's going to uh, cause me to move and groove, and that's going to get me out of bed each day, and that's what I want to pursue, and that's the direction I want to go in. I'm persuaded. And this then can be applied uh, and is directly applied, this idea of this rest that Jesus offers to the Jews and to their promised land as the picture and so forth. It's directly applied to us as Christians if you're saved here today and you've believed on him. Notice how Hebrews 4 uses this concept in verse 9. Here the writer of Hebrews says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for us believers, Christians. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And what he's referring to there is that all through Hebrews chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, he was using the example of the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness and in those wilderness years and how they failed to believe God or take him at his word, failed to believe his promise, and therefore they did not have rest. In fact, they had to wander for 40 years for, for belligerent unbelief. So he's saying, as that is an example, let's not do that, but let us instead be diligent to enter that rest, which seems like an oxymoron, but what he's saying is that diligent is to be of mental readiness. Uh, cultivate our minds, stir up our hearts, remind ourselves of who he is. Come to me. If I'm going to come to Jesus by faith, even in my daily approach of life, I need to be reminded of who he is and stirred up in the word of God and be uh, uh, attracted through the draw of the spirit of God and the word of God to him, which is exactly what the next verse in Hebrews 4.12 says. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit and of both joints and marrow and is able to judge or uh, the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and active. It is 
amazing as the Lord then can, again, change our thinking or point out and convict us and even challenge us and rebuke us. And that's where positive change comes from, is be realizing that I want to be, again, uh, under his teaching. And I want to be yoked to him. And, and his way is actually easy. And his words speak of grace and compassion. And, and they will correct me and ease out even this, this legalism and this religion and this uh, performance. And, they, and those words will lend me, bring me toward grace and be piercing as my, and, and changing my thoughts. And he talks about accountability, and then he mentions how Jesus is the high priest. And then he says in verse 15 that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, our high priest, has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And now comes a powerful promise in Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Grace is undeserved favor. This is God treating us as we don't deserve and pouring out mercies and compassion on us. We have confidence in him. We have confidence in God. We have confidence in his attributes. We have confidence in Christ's work and fulfilling all things so that when we are in him, we can come to the throne of grace with confidence and find mercy and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is hope for the weary, friends. There's hope for the weary if you've been underwhelmed or overwhelmed rather by life and its pressures and trials and the uncertainty of the future. But you come to the throne of grace and receive mercy. That is God's compassion. That is his, his awareness of our pain and our suffering, and he moves toward that pain on our behalf. And we'll find grace to help in time of need. And our confidence then is not in ourselves, but it's in his work and his offer offer, and his throne that we then can come because we are in Christ and we are welcomed and wanted to boldly come. <clears throat> Amazing. So even if you're, uh, as you're saved here today, friends, if you've trusted in Christ and you're going through difficulties or big decisions and so forth, just remember there's that throne of grace. There's that undeserved kindness always there. You never come with confidence based on, hey, I've had a few good days. Now give me some bennies, benefits. No, 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 no. Our confidence is based on Christ. Confidence is based on his fundamental character of goodness and grace. And there's hope there for you. Hope for the weary. There's relief there. So here's the calling. Jesus says in Matthew 11, as we just wrap this up now, Come to me. It's personal. Him, knowing who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, the one who died on the cross for our sins. Come, those who are weary and heavy laden. If you're overwhelmed with religion and lack of assurance and performance and all of this, and you've been shamed and guilted, come. Become my disciple. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Replace that religious system of rituals and no assurance because I am gentle he says I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Hebrews 4 says that for the Christian those who are saved already this rest is for us in a in a in a Christian life since we have this faith rest we like to call it so here's this calling 
that Jesus is making for all people. And there's really the three types of folks, as I alluded to earlier, uh, when the call is made and on your cell phone and it's someone you don't know. May I encourage you, don't ignore that call. This is the Lord. God is inviting you. And may you respond by faith. Take the call. Hear what he has to say. Be convinced of his love for you as God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. And if you're and, and you receive that call and you can by faith be persuaded and become a child of God. And if you are a child of God, if you are saved, if you've already placed your faith in Christ, sometimes we get that calling from God, that personal touch, and we also want to ignore it. We also turn the side, turn the volume off. Because we don't want to talk to God. We're we're ignoring him. We're we have issues of whatever sort. And a lot of times we think it's because maybe he's mad at us because I haven't been so good. I've been rebellious or whatever. And not only you know, am I just kind of pushed away from him, but certainly he's pushed away from me and God's mad at me. And the answer I just want to tell you there is he is not mad at you. All that would make him angry at you is your sin and all that and his indignation and his wrath and his fury of, against sin. Yes, it's real, and yes, you've provoked it, but it's all been put on a substitute. It's all been poured on Christ and has been vanquished, and Christ said, it is finished, and therefore your sins have been paid for, and God has already carried out his justice, and God has already carried out his wrath, and there's none left now for the believer who is in Christ, who is now in the Beloved. And no, not everything you do is pleasing to him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And yes, we sin, but that sin has been forgiven. The judicial nature of that has all been paid for. And we must remember that. We are wanted at that throne of grace. You can come there anytime. Take his call and respond, knowing he's not mad at you. You belong to him. You are his child. And there is forever grace and forgiveness there. He is not against you because of your sin. Instead, he is with you against your sin. And as you respond and are compelled and drawn to him, watch what he can do by way of change in your life. And so if you've been taking the call and, and the habit of responding to the, the Lord and his calling in your life, that's great. May you just keep doing that and keep doing that. And may all of us learn to respond and take the call because we know that that's the throne of grace. There's friendship there, and we relate to the one who loves us, and we love him because he first loved us, and we can respond with dependence and thanksgiving and praise and even confession, and we appreciate all that he is and what he's done. How? By faith. So may you place your faith in him if you never have. Again, uh, if you've never entered into this relationship, may you stop and consider this invitation now. Acts 16.31, Paul, uh, the Philippian jailer asked Paul, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer to that very specific question was very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe is to put your faith, it's to trust and be persuaded that this Jesus, be persuaded in his person, 
that he came from heaven. He was born even in a unique way. His life, this amazing life of ministry and miracle and teaching, and his death, his death, which was not random, but was very specific and was for you and for me and for our sins on the cross as our substitute, and his resurrection as the grave could not hold him, and sin is now overcome. His resurrection, his life, followed by his ascension, so he's sitting in the heavens now, and he's offering a gift by grace you are saved through faith that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and his invitation is there for you. If you've never believed, may you be like that Philippian jailer and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or how about now, and why not now? If you are a believer and you have put your faith in Christ, just recognize then in our Christian life, in our daily walk, how he loves you and me, how we are his, and you are cleansed already, forgiven already, wanted at the throne of grace, cared for as his mercy can be found there. And even in your failures and even in your addictions and even in your struggles and even in your doubts and even in your anxieties, none of it is overwhelming to him. Christ has died and tasted death for all of us, and therefore we are in him and secure here and we have it very good. We learn of our position in him where that's an ideal position and it's untarnished. We have constant identity there. Praise the Lord for that. And our future in him, may we walk by faith knowing the future of glorification and eternal life with him forever. Never to be risked, never to be lost, guaranteed, because it's in Christ. Take the call, friends. You know, it's a matter of saying yes. It's volitional. It's volitional and choosing to hear and be persuaded and by faith respond and say, yes, Lord, this is really good news. I trust that. I believe in Jesus Christ and what you've done in this promise. And may you come to him. Come to him for life for the first time. And may we come to him for peace and, and, and the salvation rest over and over as Christians once we have responded by faith to that gift of life. May Jesus truly become our treasure more and more as we relate to him. And so with that, I trust this was encouraging, and we will end with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for just amazing, amazing God that you are, that here is Jesus in a, in a fallen and broken world of miserable sinners saying, Come to me. Come, and I will give you life. I will give you rest. And we know, Father, that invitation is for everyone, to the Jews of that day, especially to be no longer under the religious burdens and the insecurities and the lack of assurance. And that's so true that for all of us, any can come and find that assurance and certainty in Christ by believing on him, being persuaded, and knowing that he died, was buried, and rose again, and our sins are paid for May anyone here listening, Father, have that certainty of eternal life. And for those of us who are saved and have already embraced that and have that life, may we be increasingly convinced, Father, that he's our treasure. May you just make us indeed compelled to be drawn to him and allow him to become more and more our hopes and our dreams and our treasure that we then can pursue out in our life for it. Thank you that we can just uh, understand these things, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.